0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running
1: conservative talk show.
2: He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's
0: Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: And a very pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome. Great to have you with us for another Tuesday edition of Lifeline for this 10th day of March. Just, uh, what, five days shy of the Ides of March, as it were. Hope you're having a great week so far in spite of all the gloom and doom out there. Boy, I don't know whether it's just bad weather, bad markets, or concern over the coronavirus, all that put together, but um, folks seem to be a little bit anxious these days, and uh, no doubt a lot of this justified. News today, the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. is now topping 800 cases. Gee, we seem just a couple of weeks ago we were told it was 15 going to zero. 28 deaths so far linked to the outbreak. The number of confirmed cases worldwide, more than 118,000, and you can certainly bet likely the numbers out of China are far more significant than what uh, communist authorities are reporting. As a result, we see more and more clampdowns on large gatherings. Santa Clara County just announced yesterday 1,000, that's the cap, no event, no sports event, no meeting of any sort of over 1,000 people allowed within the Santa Clara County limits Until the end of March, that's going to affect the earthquake games, sharks, concerts, the whole bit. And certainly one of the big areas to take a major hit in the coronavirus has been Wall Street. Today, though, a little bit better news. Stocks finishing up after reports the White House and Democrats are discussing a stimulus package to help the economy due to the impact of Corona-19. It led to major stock indexes being up about four and a half percent. The Dow Jones Industrial Average Closing the day up 1,167 points to win the day at 2,518. Of course, we've got nearly 4,500 points to go to back to where we were just a scant three weeks ago. The S&P gaining 135 to close at 2,882. The NASDAQ adding 393 points to finish off the day at 8,344. So much news out there, and I think a lot of us kind of Stuck on the gloom and doom aspect, as I suggested a moment ago. So let's change things up, shall we? There is other news worth discussing. And uh, to be sure, as we've heard from uh, everyone from the president to authorities at the CDC and, and on down the list, that while this is a problem and a significant one right now, this will not go on forever. And as Scripture tells us, joy will come in the morning. We don't know when daybreak is coming, but eventually it will come. And as it gets behind us, day-to-day life continues on. And part of that day-to-day life is, of course, watch what's going on in Washington, D.C. We are in the middle, of course, of an election year. And um, we know that there's a lot of grandstanding and uh, positioning, jockeying for position, certainly by um, members of Congress, everybody that's got a stake in the election. What are the stories that crossed our desk in the last several days that's gotten a little bit of attention, but I think bears going deeper, involves Chuck Schirmer and um, a rally that he participated in, I think just outside the steps of the uh, Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, this is in relationship to the ongoing mantra of Abortion, and as you know, the Supreme Court had been hearing the Louisiana case concerning abortion laws or the restrictions there. And uh, Chuck Schumer got up and had a few choice words specifically directed at members of the High Court. Give a listen.
2: I want to tell you Gorsuch. I want to tell you Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions.
1: And, of course, he goes on and on from there. Wow. You won't know what hits you. You will pay the price. Is it so, though? For some insights, we're going to turn to our resident constitutional expert. He, of course, is a best-selling author and host of the nationally syndicated Bob Zadek show, heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. at 860 a.m. KTRB, The Answer. And um, this latest book, by the way, is called Secret Sauce, The Founder's Original Recipe for a Limited American Democracy. Maybe Bob can tell us about that a little bit later on in the program tonight. Meanwhile, Bob Zadek, is always
2: great to have you on the program. Craig, thanks for having me again. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Bob, I I heard this comment from Chuck Shermer the other day, and I thought, is this political rhetoric, or did this guy just actually threaten two members of the United States... Supreme Court and I know that it's it's easy for us to get caught up in the heat of the moment and the emotion and so on and so forth and make certain proclamations and as I indicated in my opening remarks we are in the midst of an election season and so the stakes are high politically speaking and so the tendency to um, to go on at the mouth without engaging the brain perhaps increases during the election cycles but these comments in particular really seem to stand out I know that he's made sort of a half-hearted post we got you apology to all of this but from your viewpoint listening to a member of one of the three branches of the United States government effectively threatening at least that's my interpretation of it threatening members of another branch of the United States government and one that some arguably and we'll talk about that in our conversation today some that arguably say holds the so-called uh, Trump card over the United States Congress. What did you make of the remarks by Chuck Shermer in that rally? And, and, and just how worried ought we to be about a member of the legislative branch making that kind of threat to members of the judicial
2: branch? Well, uh, how did I feel about it? I was shocked. I was appalled. Uh, this, is, this is gutter talk by not just a member of the Senate. Craig, he is the minority leader in the Senate. He he is the highest-ranking Democrat in national office. Uh, so it's not just a member of the Senate, a uh, a senator. It was astonishing to me. And also, we have a system of government where we have, thank heaven, checks and balances, and when our system of government was formed, the founders knew full well that power, concentration of power, will be the death of our country, and they worked as hard as humans could possibly work to set up checks and balances so that, to paraphrase the words of the founders, one, one part of government's ambition would offset and counteract the ambition of another branch of government. We have three co equal branches of government and the Supreme Court's job, their mission, which they almost always follow in the history of the Supreme Court, their job is to understand the Constitution, understand the statutes, and to apply that understanding to the cases before them, and to make a decision. They are simply applying highly specialized knowledge. The way you go to a doctor and the doctor uses highly specialized knowledge to determine after an investigation and after applying his knowledge, what the symptoms, what conclusion he will reach or she will reach from the symptoms. And imagine picketing outside of a doctor's office. You better not find this patient to have cancer or you will pay the price. How absurd does that even sound as I utter those words? Now, if it sounds absurd, picketing outside of a doctor's office, you better not find that Craig Roberts has cancer or you will pay the price. We know where you live. Imagine that. And imagine the quality of of the doctor's diagnosis, hearing those sounds coming through his office window. And that's what we have heard in Washington. How can you possibly tell the Supreme Court how they had better decide, any more than you can tell a doctor, how he had better conclude in his or her diagnosis? It's that moronic and that serious. And Craig, there's an even more scary thought. There is a danger and grounds to feel fear from what I'm about to say. The Supreme Court, in words of Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 78, Hamilton observed the Supreme Court is far and away the weakest of the three co-equal branches because they have no purse. They are only have the money to spend that Congress gives to them. They are dependent upon Congress to turn on their lights. They have no purse, and they have no army. If they make a ruling, they have no way, the Supreme Court, to enforce their ruling. They are dependent upon the other branches of government. And once you, and the reason the system works is because all Americans respect that, we are a country of laws, not of men. And if the Supreme Court makes a ruling, that becomes the law of the land, and you obey it without question. And the hypothetical is presented, Craig, just to show you how we take the Supreme Court for granted. It's, it's kind of easy to imagine that the Supreme Court finds that another branch of government, let's say the president, that the president must be compelled to do something to produce documents before Congress. The Supreme Court rules nine to nothing and the president sitting in the White House says, yes, I know what the Supreme Court ruled, but they're wrong. And I've been advised by White House counsel that they're wrong and I have no duty to obey and I'm not going to obey. Craig, the country is finished. Once somebody says, I don't care what the Supreme Court says, they're wrong and I'm not going to follow it. We are done as a country. And therefore, the country must have complete respect for the decisions of the court and for the process by which they reach their rulings or else we're finished. And Schumer shows, in his statement, shows no respect for the process of the Supreme Court. To him to say, you better decide a case a certain way, that's akin to jury tampering. That's just the same thing, except the Supreme Court is not a jury. It's it's a quasi, it's both judge and jury, except it's deciding matters of law, not of fact. It's that important and that scary to me the way Schumer has behaved.
1: And, you know, some of the language here, Bob, to put this in perspective, I mean, as I annotated in my opening remarks, the, the, the notion that we're here in an election cycle, it's easy to say you're going to pay the price. And I think most people, most thinking people, if you heard that remark directed to a seated member of Congress or any other elected official would say, oh, yes, at the ballot box, you're going to pay the price. You won't know what shit you. Meaning, we're going to vote you out of office. But it is not just who made the remark that is very troubling about this, but to whom the remark was made. Now, to be sure, we understand that there's a long history of sort of an acrimonious relationship between the three branches. Congress passes a bill, the president doesn't like it, he vetoes it. Or the president signs a bill into law, SCOTUS gets their hands on it and said, nope, sorry, we're not going to let this thing stand because it violates the United States Constitution. There's always been this sort of give and take. Sometimes we get along, other times we don't. We know that there's certainly been pressure between the branches Um, note for example what happened with the attempt at the court packing done by uh, president fdr back in 1937 38 because congress was knocking down a lot of his alphabet soup uh, programs and proposals out there Uh, but at the end of the day and you touched on this a moment ago at the end of the day while there may be times that we demonstrate between the three branches a bit of an acrimonious relationship at the end of the day if there is not ultimately respect shown. For the authority of that branch, you're right. That is a slippery slope down which this country can slide quite quickly into chaos.
2: Craig, I'll I'll just comment on one word in your last uh, series of comments. You said there is acrimony between the various uh, branches of government. I wouldn't use the word acrimony there is tension. They are sometimes unhappy with each other's work, but that's baked into the system. That had better happen. We want one system telling another system, you cannot do this. We want Congress saying, we will not allow the executive branch to spend any money on this particular program. One example, Craig, just one. Uh, the We have marijuana laws and drug laws in this country that nobody likes very much. Nobody likes, majority don't like pro, outright prohibition on controlled substances. They prefer to be left to the states. Well, we had a very aggressive Jeff Sessions, and uh, before Jeff Sessions, we had other uh, attorney general, attorneys general, who were aggressively enforcing federal marijuana laws, even in states, where it was legal and congress which doesn't have the spine to repeal federal marijuana prohibition even though most of the people want it they just don't have the spine but what they did have is they said hold it executive branch we don't want you enforcing our statutes so congress passes budgetary bills that says in the budget we're giving to the justice department We forbid even one penny to be used in marijuana enforcement in states where it's legal. So there is one branch denying another branch the money to do what they're allowed to do under law. So there's always this tension going on between the branches. It's supposed to be. And the result of one branch serving as a check on the other is usually better government. So I want there to be tension between the branches. We don't live in a, in a kingdom where the king controls everything. And remember, our country is the first country on the planet to create this essential device called an independent judiciary. We got our system of government basically from the British. In the British... The judiciary branch is under the control of the crown. Not so much anymore, but it was in our founding era. And so we invented something new, an independent judiciary, never before seen on earth. And darn it, it worked. And statements like Schumer made challenge that independence. He is saying to the judiciary, you better not be independent. I am in charge here. He's attacking one of the core, core, fundamental concepts that support our government.
1: Now, Bob, let me interrupt for a moment, because for for the sake of good radio, I want to come to the other side of this equation and... um Play a little bit of devil's advocate, because as much as and I've characterized it as such in my opening remarks that what Schumer said seems to be an outright threat to at least two members of the United States Supreme Court. You won't know what hits you. You'll pay the price. However, however, there is some weight potentially behind those words and legitimately so for something that has not been done by the United States Congress since 1804. We're going to talk about that next with us, best-selling author, lawyer, syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek, host of The Bob Zadek Show, heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. at 8.60 a.m., The Answer. You can check out more information about Bob, his books, his writings. As well as podcasts at That's bobzadek.com. That's B O B Z A D E K.com. Let's take a quick time out, get you updated on traffic. We'll come back to more of our conversation next around the corner answering the question So, does Chuck Schumer actually have any law behind him to put weight behind his words? We'll talk about that with Bob Zadek as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to the conversation. Now, while many are saying, did the ranking member of the minority party, majority party in the Senate just just threaten members of the United States Supreme Court? Some are asking if he did. Chuck Schirmer, on the other hand, is saying...
2: I shouldn't have used the words I did, but in no way was I making a threat.
1: All right. Was he or wasn't he? And while that is part of the question, there's another underlying question here that we're going to ask our special guest tonight to address. He is lawyer, best-selling author, syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek, The Bob Zadek program heard locally here in the San Francisco Bay Area every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. KTRB, The Answer... And, uh, Bob, there is a way in which that might have been less about uh, puffing up big like a bear and trying to impress people during an election cycle and maybe more about what the United States um, Congress does have the power to do, and that is that they can, in fact, impeach and convict a member of the high court, although it's only happened once in 1804, and that not to, to full fruition while he was impeached Uh, Samuel Chase, who was, oddly enough, an appointment by none other than George Washington. Samuel Chase, impeached by the House in 1804, acquitted by the Senate in 1805. So is there a modicum, then, of truth behind some of the threat that apparently Chuck Shermer made to those members of the court?
2: Well, of course, impeachment is initiated by the House of Representatives, not by the Senate, So Chuck Schumer does not have the power, nor does his body have the power, to impeach anybody, only to convict. That's number one. Number two, uh, he's telling the Supreme Court, unless you decide a case in a certain way, you will be impeached. Well, I hardly think that a wrong decision— or a decision that some people believe to be wrong is grounds in and of itself for impeachment. Although it's interesting you mention Chief uh, uh, Judge Samuel Chase, because he was actually, as I recall, he was accused of political bias and promoting a partisan fiscal agenda, which would seem today to be an accusation that many believe could be leveled, I don't agree at all, but could be leveled at justices in the Supreme Court. But what's interesting, as you correctly point out, as you always are correct, at least in my experience, but as you correctly point out, uh, Judge Chase, or Justice Chase rather, uh, Justice Chase was acquitted of those charges because they were not grounds for impeachment. It's funny, before the break, I thought you were going to refer to another judge, a Supreme Court judge, uh, John, uh, John Pickering, who was the first federal official to be impeached in our young country, and he was impeached in 1803 and convicted. And he was impeached because he was abusive to lawyers and often came to work drunk. So he was just bad at his job. And many people believe you have to have committed a high crime or misdemeanor to be impeached. That's the words of the Constitution. And all he did was he was a really crappy judge and he was drunk all the time. Hardly a high crime or misdemeanor, but yet he was acqu- He was convicted in any event. And in here I think,
1: you, as you aptly point out, Bob, is where the comments made, even by Chuck Shermer there in the apology saying that, you know, I didn't mean to threaten but seemed to fall a bit hollow. And that is the notion that we're not talking about a charge against a member of the United States Supreme Court for uh, any malfeasance or um, uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, but rather a difference in political opinion regarding a legitimate case before the court. And and that's where I think it crosses from, um, that balance of tensions that you talked about earlier earlier between the branches, and that that sense of real acrimony, because in this case, clearly, the bone that he has to pick with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh has nothing to do with their qualifications, but rather that they rendered a decision that he does not, he meaning Chuck Schirmer, does not agree with politically. And that's where I think um, this notion you touched on earlier as well of judicial review um, and the power that I understand the Constitution is kind of silent on, but it's there nevertheless implied, and maybe you can help us understand that too. And, th- and that is the notion that that uh, the, the the United States Congress feels a little bit uncomfortable that at the end of the day, well, no, they, they don't control the purse, and they have challenges when it comes to uh, exercising the authority to carry out law. Nevertheless, they do have the ultimate and absolute authority to deem whether or not a law is in keeping with the spirit, if not the letter, of the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights.
2: You know, Greg, you raise a fascinating issue because one could argue while they seem to have the ultimate say, that's not quite true because let us assume uh, an act of Congress is found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court under the principle of judicial review. And uh, and, and most people believe judicial review was created by Chief Justice John Marshall in the Marbury versus Madison case. In point of fact, there was a case about two years earlier that nobody ever cites or knows about that discussed judicial review. That's for another day. However, let us assume a statute that the, what they say the political branches of government, the elected branches, found to be a good idea, the Supreme Court finds it to be unconstitutional. Remember that Congress uh, and the states, or Congress acting alone, if there's a, a large enough majority, can have the Uh, after state ratification, can amend the Constitution to say, okay, Supreme Court, we're going to amend the Constitution. Now, it's very hard to do because the stakes go up. Um, You have the Supreme Court, the almost ultimate arbiter, saying a law is unconstitutional if the country wants that law anyway— then the country has the means to collectively overrule the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court cannot do anything about that if the Constitution is amended but but so isn't largely can, what you're you talking argue about you a bit
1: but but bob isn 't largely what you 're talking about then really, when you when really, you really get down to brass tacks, the the silent partners, so to speak the the the, the unseen unnamed sort of fourth member fourth branch of government here, so we 've got judicial executive legislative, and then you have the people and and It, it seems to me what you 're suggesting is that the real ultimate decision making the trump card to beat all trump cards is the capacity of the people to say, you know what, we don't like what the Constitution says. We don't like the fact that maybe a law passed by Congress has been knocked down by the Supreme Court because it's not in harmony with the Constitution. We are therefore going to make adjustments to the United States Constitution. And that really ultimately, in a sense, is really left into the hands of the people, is it not?
2: The answer is yes, but it better be a whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you need to have, to amend the Constitution, three quarters of the states. That's a whole lot of people. Um, and as well as two thirds the houses of Congress. So the founders, who basically started with a correct skepticism about the people, sometimes. Acting emotionally, what they called mob rule, not mob in the violent sense, just mob in the irrational sense. So, as a check on people acting impulsively and irrationally, they say, not a simple majority amending the Constitution is far too important and too dramatic a role. So therefore, it better be a whole bunch of people reducing the likelihood that the act is impulsive. So all of this is fascinating, very well thought out, and always shows an inherent and appropriate distrust for populism, for majority rule. The founders feared it, And what we've just discussed shows how hard it is for the mob, for a majority of the people to force their will on a minority of the people. In addition to
1: the sense, as you and I have, I think both uh, uh, agreed and opined here today, that the comments made by Chuck Schirmer really, really seemed to borderline on an outright and extremely inappropriate threat. Uh, is there also a shortcoming here, too? And that is that it seems to me that that Schirmer is, is trying to basically force the hand of the Supreme Court to engage in debate on a matter of public policy, when in fact their job is not to render decisions on policy, but rather constitutionality.
2: The, you're exactly right. And I've actually found that to be one of the most interesting areas of thought and of study is the effect to which the Supreme Court acts politically, even though they're supposed to, in the words of Chief Justice Roberts, just be an umpire calling balls and strikes. And our there's a fascinating book, if I may. There's a book called The Will of the People. I commend it to our listeners. No, I didn't write it. The Will of the People, which talks about throughout history, it traces in a scholarly but very readable fashion How much has the Supreme Court made decisions based upon what's, quote, good for the country? Not what the law is, but what's good for the country or what the country is or is not ready for. It is a fascinating study. And just to give you examples, many people believe Brown versus Board of Education, a decision that nobody really quarrels with but many people will say as a study in the law it may not have been correctly decided it was the right decision in terms of the health of the country but it was it may have been or one can have a debate on whether it's consistent with the constitution but the country was ready for it so and take another decision which goes the other way kuramatsu when congress We may remember in one of the darkest days in our recent history when Congress interned, passed a statute that required Japanese-Americans, American citizens, to be interred in camps in Arizona and New Mexico, imprisoned for the balance of the war only because they were of Japanese descent. That case, the Korematsu case, went to the U.S. Supreme Court, who found it constitutional for shame. That was purely a political decision because we were fearful. It was in 43. We were fearful of the war. Was it going right? So yes, Congress has, or rather the Supreme Court, has succumbed to, in the words of the title of that book, the will of the people sometimes. And one can debate whether they should or not, or whether they should just blindly follow the law, I happen to think that's what they should do. But our history shows differently. So
1: the the comment by Chief Justice Roberts, perhaps oversimplistic in suggesting that the singular responsibility of the high court is to, uh, as, as you uh, quoted him, uh, call call balls and strikes. Uh, that that's a little bit simplistic because there's a tremendous degree, as I think you're suggesting. Uh, of time when the court is also, in in handing down decisions, sending signals, aren't they? I mean, they're sending signals to lower courts. They're sending signals perhaps to Congress as well in terms of what's coming to them and um, how the United States Supreme Court not only finds things in harmony or out of harmony with the Constitution – and perhaps to a lesser degree in harmony or out of harmony with the spirit of the times. Brown v. Board of Education in 1954 being a classical example of that.
2: Roe versus Wade. Another example of where a decision was made on really questionable constitutional grounds, but most people believe, and now having second thoughts, But it was believed at the time to be the right decision, quote, for the country, even though it was of questionable constitutional correctness.
1: Bob, I want to turn a corner quickly before time winds down because it's it's something that fascinates me, and it's a question that all of us uh, may at some point, sadly, under the current set of circumstances uh, with this health crisis be faced by. It was announced late yesterday by the uh, Prime Minister of Italy that uh, the quarantine to the north simply wasn't working out, and so they effectively said, we are quarantining the entire boot from Sicily to the German-Austrian-French border, and uh, in, uh, in doing so, we are going to say, you can't move. We're going to say you can't have dinner after sunset. We're going to say you can't gather in large crowds and even going to the point of saying, and uh, we don't and this is tough for Italians. we don't want you kissing hugging or even shaking hands. And while that appears to be a bit of a perhaps draconian response under the circumstances, who's to say? Just yesterday, Santa Clara County announced that they are now putting a moratorium on all public gatherings of a thousand people or more, and they were very careful in making the announcement to not begin with a pronouncement by a public health official, but rather somebody out of the district attorney's office to make it ultimately clear to everyone that not only was the county making this this decision, but that they had the power of law behind them to enforce it. Do these kinds of decisions, however, in your opinion, take it maybe a field just too far that we're suddenly not only controlling the movements of people, but even down to the very specific behaviors?
2: Craig, we can spend an entire show on whether whether a quarantine is constitutionally Defendable. Um, there's a rich history in the in the founding era. The only way we could control yellow fever is by quarantine, and by, that's the only tool in the toolbox. But right now there is utter mass hysteria around the coronavirus. And Craig, you were in your intro to our show today when you were reading the news you reported statistics and you reported the number of deaths and the number of cases i think you used the number of four hundred thousand. i was saying to myself as i'm sitting here with my headset on i wish craig would right after that report the number of cases that were contracted in the past week of the flu And they would be like several million. Uh, You would then report how many people died from the flu in the past week. You would report, well, 25,000 or something like that. So the numbers sitting as numbers, depending upon the inflection of the newsreader, sound high. And they scare people. The numbers in context of other diseases, of the common cold, of flu... Make the coronavirus numbers pale by comparison. So this is all hysteria created by the media, created by a lack of leadership in our government. and And as we know, and as I've said on my show often, government's major tool to accumulate power, is to make sure the population is always afraid, whether it's terrorism, whether it's gangs, whatever it is. So long as people are afraid, they will cede their liberty to government. But when was the last time the government declared, the threat has gone away, we are now returning freedom? <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah. How long will it be? How will, how, when will we say, okay, we've cured the virus Nobody is sick today in the world. Now you can go to Sharks games again. When is that going to happen? Answer? Never.
1: Yeah, it's the same answer for the question, when are we going to make a pronouncement that we no longer need the Patriot Act because we feel as if the threat of terrorism here at home uh, has diminished, diminished sufficiently. Precisely. Um, and, and certainly, and as you point out, we've seen in the last uh, week uh, the power of fear to impact even the markets. Because at the end of the day, we've talked about this a lot with Pat Fettucci on this program, the fundamentals of the economy remain strong. But most of the money that's ran out of the markets over the last uh, 168 hours or so is largely fearful money. Bob Zadak, host of the Bob Zadak Show, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Bob, you got a new book, Secret Sauce, The Founder's Original Recipe for Limited American Democracy. 30
2: seconds. Give us a
1: quick thumbnail sketch.
2: We have, have in the past 100 years, we have seen uh, an overdose of democracy, the Founder's knew. Too much democracy would bring the country down. And we have been increasing the level of democracy, that is popular vote as opposed to representative government, in the excesses, starting with the direct election of senators. And each time we have empowered the people more, the country is worse off than before. And if, if it sounds like a strange concept, read the book. It's one night's reading, and you will be a believer. I promise you.
1: Check it out online, BobZadek.com. Secret Sauce, the founder's original recipe for limited American democracy. But Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. on 860 AM KTRB. The Answer, our sister station. Bob's information available again online at BobZadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Always, Bob, we appreciate the time and the insights. on the clock. We're a bit late, so let's get you caught up on traffic right now. Maybe you're stuck in traffic. You're late, too. Let's find out why.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: The conversation here, five away from the hour of six o'clock here on the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. We've talked a lot about the constitutionality of so-called sanctuary cities, and of course, as you know, in relationship to uh, the immigration question, a lot has been said and done back and forth between the administration in Washington, D.C., authorities at the state and local level, and even some uh, challenges to say we're going to stop providing federal funds as long as... um, sanctuary cities are around or um, are are enforced by local authorities. But it does raise a fascinating question that if sanctuary cities can be tolerated as they have been um, in the spirit of um, protecting and defending uh, illegal immigrants, why not sanctuary cities for the unborn? Let's talk about it with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, and the host of Life Matters heard every Saturday at eleven am right here on KFAX. and And, and Brian, maybe this is an idea whose time has come. Well, Craig,
0: you're exactly right. I do want to point out, though, it's important to realize uh, this is a resolution. and the um, there are folks that are doing this in different cities in the West. Some cities have said, we're going to ban abortions. We're not going to recommend that course of action. But I want to go one step deeper, because, as you know, we want to be very wise and practical in our effort to protect human lives, and we stand on the side of facts and truth. And in reality, the state laws of California already underscore the value and the significance of the child in the womb. Literally, Scott Peterson, he might even be listening. I hope he is. He should listen to K-Fax. But he's sitting in San Quentin, and he looks out on that bay where he was involved in killing both his wife and his unborn child, Connor. He has two death penalties against him. That's the laws of the state of California, recognizing the value of that life. In, in Social Security law, that unborn child can collect Social Security, and every other aspect of the law and of common sense, that vulnerable human being has been and continues to be respected. So something happened a couple of, uh, well, it was actually last year, if you recall. Abortion advocates ignore objective facts about child in the womb. They want unlimited abortion. And even if the child's born alive, they want to be free to just throw that kid out. Wait a second. Think about it. Here in California, already every town, village, and hamlet on their fire station, there's a sign that this is a sanctuary for that unborn. Don't throw the child in the trash. We don't want any more trash can babies in our towns, our cities, our counties have dedicated those civic facilities. To save those children. And yet the abortion mentality is, no, we throw babies out. There's something wrong here. So what happened uh, last year, several cities, um, again, we, we're looking at this very carefully, and I believe the resolution is very important. It means that the city council looks at what it does. A city council decides civic responsibilities for that town. And it's a resolution. It doesn't ban anything. But what it does do, it says, look, we actually prefer life in our city. We already do it at our fire stations. But in our town, we have individual citizens and churches that are sponsoring crisis pregnancy centers. We are supporting life in every way in our town. And we, as a resolution, have decided we want to make sure that the most most vulnerable are made welcome in our town. This is a powerful tool, Greg, because this means that civic leaders are making a very – it's not just symbolic. Because what happens is in San Mateo recently. A baby was left at the fire station in San Mateo. This is happening regularly. It's what government exists for. The purpose of government is to protect those who can't protect themselves. So this is an important assertion of basic principles, and that's really what we do in the Right to Life. The reason we complain about Roe v. Wade is it turned the law on its head. It says, vulnerable human beings, you can throw them out. And we oppose that. And, and until that's addressed, we'll continue to oppose it. We know it, it has spread from abortion now to sick people. I fear for people in nursing homes in some states now, because of this corona- the way they're going to be addressed, because you can throw out sick people, you can kill them if it's, quote, hopeless. So all we do is we are affirming the very principles on which our nation is built, on which any just society is built. So these unborn resolutions, very powerful. It's a way to bring this to your community. At California Pro-Life, we are we're bringing them in. And we already have a couple of towns. Here in California that are going to be introducing these and we want to educate the local community. This is a good thing. This is a good way and it's a win-win. I mean, uh, this is, <laughs> I say you an article, uh, in Riverton, Utah, some city council members said, no, 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 only the Supreme Court can deal with this. And so the real question is, well, wait a second. This is, this doesn't ban any, this is a resolution. This isn't a law, it's a resolve. And the question in California, when a city council member says, no, don't do this, well, well, ma'am, do you want to go down and pull those signs off the fire station? Ma'am, are you saying we shouldn't be caring for these children? It really puts them in a difficult situation. And in, in Riverton, where they did it, uh, the folks who were most vociferous, when it came down to the vote, you know what they did? They slunk out of the council chambers. They did not want to be seen as voting against this resolution affirming life. These are very powerful tools and as you point out, hey, if we're doing this for people breaking the law, and those are laws that local can't they can't turn illegals over to ICE agents by law. Well we're not even going that far. We're simply saying, wait a second the real people who should be protected are the most vulnerable, innocent who are about to have their lives taken. We want to be a sanctuary for the unborn. It's a very powerful tool, and if you can find out more on California pro-life.
1: And I think what's important about this, too, is the notion that it forces, in so many respects, uh, people to take a position on this. So where do you come down on the side of this? Do, do you support, as Brian Johnson has just suggested, life? Uh, the way we have within the Constitution of California, um, sent Scott Peterson to jail for not one charge of homicide but two because not just the wife, but the wife carrying the baby, and so therefore two lives were lost, therefore two counts of murder, one against him. That's the law. So resolutions of this sort simply force city councils, maybe even someday here in California or legislature, to take a position to show where they really stand on this topic. Brian Johnson, we appreciate the time. Life Matters, Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. I'm sorry, 8 a.m. I just moved it to a new time. <laughs> 11 a.m. Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. Brian has a chance to go deep into these issues, educate you of the news of the day uh, as it relates uniquely to uh, pro-life concerns, and um, takes you there every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Life Matters with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee. More information available online at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. Time for an update on traffic, 6.05 on the clock, here's the latest.